You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear Jesus, Lord, I thank you so much for a beautiful day. I thank you um, for the cooler weather. I think it's nice because at camp meeting, I just get so hot day after day and it drains the energy and cool weather just energizes us. <laughs> so I thank you so much for um, just a chance to enjoy a little bit of difference in nature. I thank you for that gift. And Lord, I ask for your spirit to be very present. Uh, Lord, there is a message that each person needs to hear that they're hungry for. And I ask that this encourage them and strengthens them wherever they are in their walk. We love you in your name. Amen. So um, there's all sorts of facts in here for children and adults. Um, but my focus is usually children because I'm a teacher. Um, but this applies to anybody. All right. So we'll start with a wonderful quote. Jesus' education was gained from heaven-appointed sources, from useful work, from the study of the scriptures, from nature, and from the experiences of life. God's lesson books, full of instruction to all who bring to them the willing hand, the seeing eye, and the understanding heart. His intimate acquaintance with the scriptures shows how diligently his early years were given to the study of God's word. And spread out before him was the great library of God's created works. He who made all things studied the lessons which his own hand had written in earth and sea and sky. Apart from the unholy ways of the world, he gathered stores of scientific knowledge from nature. He studied the life of plants and animals and the life of man. From his earliest years, he was possessed of one purpose. He lived to bless others. And you know that's the principle of nature. Everything takes to give, right? The trees take our bad breath, our carbon dioxide, and they turn that into oxygen for us, right? So everything in nature, the, the rivers, all the, all the springs go into them, and then they go out and water the earth, right? So in nature, everything takes to give. For this, he found reasons and resources in nature. New ideas of ways and means flashed into his mind as he studied plant life and animal life. And so if nothing else, why should we get outside? We should get outside to learn to give, <laughs> We should get outside to watch um, the way that God wants us to relate to others. How we should be making connections to others is a big reason to go outside. All right, so one of my favorite authors that I had to study for my master's was a man by the name of Richard Louvre. Have you guys ever heard of him? He wrote two books. Um, actually, I have a third one, too. Uh, the Last Child in the Woods and The Nature Principle. And then the other one is called Vitamin N, where he just gives us tons of ideas how to get outside. And so these books have all sorts of research, tons and tons of studies. The bibliography is crazy long in the back because there's all sorts of different studies that I'm going to present to you today. But he coined a term called the nature deficit disorder. Okay, so you guys all have the nature deficit disorder. <laughs> um, it basically describes the human cost of alienation from nature. And so do you guys have diminished use of the senses? Do you smell? Do you think as good as you could or hear? When you go outside, it was so cool. When I ran outdoor ed, and I and, um, I ran outdoor ed for Campus Abel, but then also Segola does it and up in the UP. And a lot of times these kids spend way more time outside in the UP. And literally we're walking through a nature walk that I'm taking the UPER kids on where I feel like they're teaching me more than I'm teaching them. And this one boy stops and he's like, do you smell that? And I was like, smell it? Smell what? He's like, that's a grouse. Since when did you guys smell a bird? And he just knew it by the smell of the bird. And I was like, wow, yep, all right, I have nature deficit disorder because I don't smell different birds and things. Um, attention difficulties, they say now the average person's attention span is eight seconds, right? 
and a goldfish is nine seconds, or did I say that backwards? I think a goldfish is eight seconds, and our, and our attention span is nine seconds. So we're doing fantastic, as you can see. Um, and I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm the same one. You know, Fran and I will sit there and stuff, and we'll be moving, because we like to be outside, you know, and we're like, okay, no, we can sit. We can handle this. It's good for us. <laughs> so, you know, there's a time and a place, but honestly, um, a lot of us have attention difficulties because we're used to screens changing all the time. Also, there's higher rates of physical and emotional illnesses. And if there's a problem right now in our world, if we could just boil it down to one, you would definitely say emotional illness. The emotional issues going on in our world are so prevalent and our teens are rocked with them. Working here, working with teens for the last four to five years has been intense. This disorder can be detected in individuals, families, and communities. So like the whole family is affected, the whole community is affected. All right. By weighing the consequences of the disorder, we also can become more aware of how blessed our children and ourselves can be, biologically, cognitively, and spiritually, through positive physical connection to nature. So have you had your dose of vitamin N today? Did you have your dose of vitamin N yesterday? We're good about vitamin C, you know, with this whole COVID thing. They're like, take vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin N. Should be added to the list. <laughs> All right, so what happened? Why was there a disconnect? Well, there was a specific couple of years that it really heightened. Uh, 1997 to 2003, there was a decline of 50% in the proportion of children 9 to 12 who spent time in such outside activities as hiking, walking, fishing, beach play, and gardening. So if you think about um, somebody who's in their 50s or 60s, they probably had, even if they lived in a town, they had the old lot that they played baseball on or they played in the streets or... Um, they would play in the, if they lived in the farms, they were outside. But if you ask kids now how many play outside, it's very, very, very small because the TVs, the iPads, the phones, right? And so just kids aren't exploring and playing outside anymore. Another study showed that children's free play and discretionary time in a typical week declined a total of nine hours in a 25-year period. So... That's a big problem, right? So there is a disconnect. What we have now is containerized kids. You can see it, right? We, we go around and kids are just put in containers because it's easier. They're put in car seats. Um, not that those are bad, but you know, back in the day, there were no car seats. There's strollers. And it, I'm sure you've seen it now too where they have leashes, right? Where they have those cute little monkey backpacks and now the kid's on a leash because it's easier for the parent. Have you seen those, you know? That was done way back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, the leashes? Oh, oh, well, there you go. Well, then containerized kids. Okay, well, then containerized kids have been around for a long time, right? Um, another thing that I think is really um, disgusting, if I may say so, um, is now they put a little spot in car seats and in, like, you know those baby things that they play with the little toys? They now have a spot in there for mom's iPhone. So the baby can just look up instead of, like, play with the little things. Now it's the iPhone, and also in the car seat, it's a spot for the iPhone. So do you think they're trying to get a captive audience? Um, when small children go outside, they're often found in containers because, you know, it's easier if I can get my jogging in or walking if I just keep my baby in the container. It's a whole lot harder for me to be patient and walk around with them because I don't get my steps in, right? I'm trying to get my steps. Um, they did a study in Scotland for three-year-olds, and they found that they were active 20 minutes a day. They put these little wristwashes in Scotland. They did a study on them, and they found that these three-year-olds were active for 20 minutes a day. So this is a global problem, okay? This is not just a couple people. This is a worldwide issue. Um, another thing, too, is I'm sure you've seen that you can buy cars now with TVs in the back seat, right? And so they sit there. And someday, you're going to be like, hey, Mom, what did you do when you rode around in a car? I looked out the window. You did what? I looked out the window, you know? 
And I don't know about you guys, but I still love looking out the window and talking about houses and like this house looks really cool or this and kids don't look out the window anymore. But that's how you take in the world and how you make deductions and start like saying, oh, that looks nice and that house looks messy and I don't want my, my yard to look like that or that, you know. But now we just watch behind the scene. I find that my teenagers don't know how to get anywhere and they're like about to start driving or driving and they don't know because they're never watched when the rest of us are driving. They're never paying attention. No, because they're on their iPhones and it's so captivating that they can't get off of them. It's it's designed to be addicting. Yeah. And, you know, but but have you guys ever been given directions? My parents give me directions and Lord bless them. I do not like it when they give me directions because they'll both start talking back and forth and they're like, oh, it's right after that big rock. And then my father will say, no, it's after that tree. And by the time they're done, I know there's a bunch of rocks and trees around, but I have no idea where what streets we're going on anymore because for them, they give me directions based on landmarks. And they also say like the street names, but they love to be like, oh, but if you go too far, then you'll see this and all those kind of things. And I'm like, you know, it would have been a lot easier if you just told me to take a right on 32nd. But, you know, but they love describing it because my father very much loves to take in the world as he's driving. That's just what he does. And you're like, right, people don't take in landmarks anymore because I'm trying to catch up on my texting or my emails. Yeah. I've noticed that with GPS, mm-hmm. I am an adult now that... I'm finding, I'm becoming so dependent on the GPS that I'm not looking around at the landmarks. And so I've been trying to, like, okay, try, you know, practice and just go by memory. Uh huh. And if I can turn around, then I can go and get redirected and then go back from, but even as an adult, I'm finding that my brain is being yep. retrained. Yep. Yep. So I. I was going to be different. I was going to be different. And I was like, I'm never getting a smartphone. Never. (laughs) Don't ever say never because you will make a fool of yourself real quick like. But I was never going to get a smartphone. And I lasted many years. I lasted. I got my first phone, you know, the little whatever, when I was 19. And then I made it all the way until at this point now. One, two, three. Three and a half years ago is when I finally succumbed. To a smartphone, and maybe it was four years ago. I lasted that long, so what, like 20, 27, 26, 27 is when I got my first smartphone. And I was like, when I get it, I'm gonna have rules. You know, like certain hours I won't get on it, and I'm gonna have all these rules. Those rules are no, no, because it's addicting. It is created to capture your attention, and I have not stuck to my rules. <clears throat> yeah. Anyways, but I would play this, I would always be lost. I would always be lost because I didn't have a smartphone. And it was so funny because nobody asked for directions anymore. Nobody. So I would like be in Walmart parking. I'm like, I'm sorry, do you know where this is? And they'd look at me and I would like pull out my phone. I was like, I don't have a smartphone (laughs) because I loved it. And I would honestly stop for directions three or four times in Kalamazoo, not that far from my house, because I couldn't find things on my own because I wasn't going to get a smartphone. And I feel like I know my way around Holland big time because I never had a smartphone when I was in Holland. It wasn't until I went to Heritage. And the only reason I finally got it was because in those group tech messages, which they use a lot when you work in like a high school, they're always communicating that. I couldn't get group text messages. They were boxes and funny shapes and everything. But God is good because I kind of didn't need it when I moved to Switzerland. That was the way I kept in touch with my family. And I do see that rightly used, it can be very beneficial. And I think that's our extreme, like we're extreme people. You know, like after this, oh, I'll never use technology and go really cold turkey. Or, you know, I'm going to be really 
really, really not pay attention, use it all the time. We, we struggle with, that, with the ditches. We don't like the middle path. That takes like thinking and work and intentionality. It's a lot easier just to be cold turkey. But cold turkey didn't mean that I had actually developed any self-control. I just chose nothing. I think that's one of the biggest challenges as a parent is that mm -hmm. our kids are going to be in an electronic-based world. Yep. There's no way around it. Mm -hmm. and we need to teach them how to deal with, to have a healthy balance with the electronics instead of being completely addicted. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, how to do that properly? Well, um, I think um, the answer is coming. <laughs> Actually, I, I... I mean, they go outside a lot. They yeah. Can't Yeah, well, Ellen White has this quote about <laughs> giving them something better, and I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. You know, you can't just be like, I'm going to stop drinking pop, because you're used to the drinking, so drink water. You know, give them something better. You can't just be like, I'm going to become vegan, not eat my meat again. You need to have fantastic dishes, or it's just blech eat right and so that the principle is something better if I can be like wow it was so much fun to do rock climbing and to go for a hike and to go do this or that then that's something better than just sitting on my phone but if I only know that my life is my phone then I haven't experienced something better and to teach them why yeah that's another thing I mean kids they need to know and understand the why yeah definitely yeah. So there was a study done by a man named James Solace, and I think this is super interesting. He said, based on previous studies, we can definitely say the best predictor of preschool children's physical activity is simply being outdoors, and that an indoor sedentary childhood is linked to mental health problems. We don't ask about those places, those unstructured sites, because it's free. There's no major economic interest involved. Who's going to fund the research? If kids are out there riding their bikes or walking, they're not burning fossil fuel, they're nobody's captive audience. It's not a Christian writing this. There's, they're nobody's captive audience. They're not making money for anybody. Follow the money. I just think that it should be a complete wake-up call to every parent, educator, policymaker, business person, and tech industry person that the reshaping of our media tech landscape is first and foremost affecting young people's lives and reshaping childhood and adolescence. And with COVID and how many of our kids are now switching to online education and how much more time is now being on the screen, what do you think is... What do you think is going on here? All right, so this is pre-COVID stats, but we found that, sadly, it has doubled, is what has done it during COVID, but this is pre-COVID, okay? Um, tweens, oh yeah, sorry, teens give about nine hours a day of their time for just enjoyment on media. Just enjoyment, nine hours a day. Tweens spend about six hours. I think the sheer volume of media technology that the kids are exposed to on a daily basis is mind-boggling. It just shows you that these kids live in the massive 24-7 digital media technology world and it's shaping every aspect of their life. They spend far more time with media technology than any other thing in their life. This is the dominant intermediary in their life. And it's true. When I would talk to my teens about God, on Instagram there's, there's wonderful, beautiful things about God certain way to understand God. And there's all these little quotes, but it's developing not a biblical-based view of God, but it looks good and they like the quotes, you know, feel good and God will lead and all this kind of different stuff. There's a gospel. There's a gospel on Instagram. There for sure is, um, but it's not a biblical-based gospel, but it's on there. Um, the average American, get this, devotes 17 hours and nine minutes each day 
to consuming media. But that's not enjoyment. That's, that, that could be work associated. That's anything. 17 hours, the average American spends 17 hours and nine minutes each day consuming media. Pre-pandemic, pre-COVID. That's the average American. This includes daily uses on our tablets, smartphones, personal computers, multimedia devices, video games, radios, DVDs, DVRs, TVs. Um, so just think that's 44 years of your life in a 60-year lifespan that you spent on a screen, that your neighbors are spending on a screen. Do you wonder why people are depressed? Do you wonder why families are not connected? What, what are you doing with all your time? You're not eating a meal and joining around a table anymore. You're on a screen around a table. It's, it's, it's really really scary to be honest. But um, that is not the point. Enough depression, right? How are you guys doing? I hate talks that you just sit there and you're like, oh, this world is terrible. And you're like, but I have kids that I love in this world. So the point of this presentation, enough boo-hoo and gloom. The point of this is to show you that yes, we live in a very technology sap world, but there is, God's always provided a way. Always, he provides a way. The System of Education Institute at the beginning of the world was to be a model for man throughout all after time. As an illustration of its principles, a model school was established in Eden, the home of our first parents. The Garden of Eden was a schoolroom. Nature was a lesson book. The Creator himself was the instructor. Do you want Jesus to be your instructor, your kid's instructor? Just go outside. The parents of the human family were the students. All right, so here we go. Five reasons why it's going to be awesome for you and your children and your students to get outside. Academically, I'll show you physically, your emotional well-being, creativity. This one's a super cool one. I can't wait to get that one. One of my absolute favorites. And spiritually. So let's start with academic. Um, ADHD, huge problem. Nearly 8 million children in the U.S. suffer from mental disorders, and ADHD is one of the most prevalent ones. It develops before the age of 7. Well, what do you think if the iPhone's right here in front of baby's face, right? Mm -hmm. Usually diagnosed between the ages of 8 to 10, some of the uninformed public tends to believe that poor parenting and other social factors produce the immature behavior associated with ADHD. But ADHD is now considered by many researchers to be an organic disorder associated with differences in the brain morphology of children. Well... Does brain development change when I stare at a screen? Yes. The answer is yes. There is reworking, rewiring going on when I look at a screen. Each hour of TV watched per day by preschoolers increases by 10% the likelihood that they will develop concentration problems and other symptoms of attention deficit disorder by age 7. Okay? This wasn't such a huge problem because as recently as 1950s, most families still had some kind of agricultural connection. So um, people who are sitting in here that are 60, 70 and above, you had some probably connection with agriculture. Compared to now, you ask your kids, one in maybe 100 have some kind of connection with a garden maybe, right? So it wasn't necessarily a huge problem. So there's two different kinds of attention. And right now, I've, I'm making you do one. And that's called directed attention. So some of you, I might be already losing you after <laughs> 30 minutes. But you have directed attention. You have fascination, which is involuntary attention, where you're just like, wow, what's that? That's where learning takes place. But how do we do most of our education, most of our sermons, most of our preaching is directed attention. But it's when it's that fascination where you're like, wait a second. So I don't know if when you guys listen to speakers, do you sometimes go with, they say something and you go on a little tangent in your brain. You're like, wait, where, where did they go? Because you get like excited. That's okay. That means you're learning. Even if you didn't get the whole sermon, God was directing you to something else. I mean, pray because <laughs> Satan can also distract your brain, right? But it's that wow factor, that wonder factor. That's where learning takes place. Not in that directed, read the next page on your textbook page. Okay. They did a nine year study. Um, where the U.S. 
Forest Service, and those who spent time outside found that they experienced a sense of peace and ability to think more clearly. So if you're worried about how much brain damage you have, because we all have brain damage from screens, there is actually scientific evidence that your brain is healed by being outside that new pathways are formed. So if you're worried about, oh, my kid, my teenagers are this old, they spent this much time on a screen, God is good, and God is in the, in the work of redeeming and restoring, and so go outside, and healing can take place, which is super awesome. All right, so basically, directed attention fatigue that you might have right now is there's too much, I just want you staring right here at the screen, looking at me. It's marked by impulsive behavior, agitation. If you notice kids getting agitated, irritated, inability to concentrate is because they've had too much directed attention and they need a chance just to be wowed. Um, directed attention fatigue occurs because neural inhibit inhibitory mechanisms become fatigued by blocking competing stimuli. The fascination effect factor associated with nature is restorative and it helps relieve people from directed attention fatigue. So another super awesome thing that I love is a person does not have to live in the wilderness to reap nature's psychological benefits, including the ability to work better and think more clearly. They did a study with 1,200 corporate state office workers and they found that those who just had a view so if you're a little bored with me right now, just look out the window. I won't be offended. <laughs> look out the window with a view of trees, bushes, or large lawns. This isn't even like a beautiful wilderness. This is a manicured public park. <laughs> they experienced significantly less frustration and more work enthusiasm than those without such views. What are people having in the corporate world? They're having a problem with keeping their people on track because of Facebook and the corporate world. But if they put them in front of windows, if they redesigned their offices where nobody had the inner cubicles, they would actually get more work out of them. Even though you'd feel like you waste a lot of your building space, you'd actually get more work. So think about your classroom, think about your home. How much are your kids actually looking out their windows? Even like, for example, their beds. What if you rearrange their bed where their bed's right next to a window? So like the other morning, I woke up um, and it was the most gorgeous sunrise, pink clouds, you know? red sky, red sky in the morning, sailors, sailors take warning, and my bed lined up right next to my window, and I just stared at the sky. It was 5 a.m., but I loved it, and I just kept looking out my window the entire time. So think about your arrangement in your house. Is there a way that you can be looking out your windows more? Because that's all it takes is a look. God is good, isn't he? It's amazing. All right, there was another study done by Terry A. Hartig, where he said that spending time in nature can help people recover from normal psychological wear and tear, but nature also improves the capacity to pay attention. So you want to think more than a goldfish? You want to pay attention more than a goldfish? Well, participants were asked to complete a 40-minute sequence of, of tasks designed to exhaust their directed attention capacity. So they, directed, they exhausted their directed attention, and then they randomly assigned them 40 minutes to something to restore them, okay? They said, let's go walk in a local nature preserve, go walk in an urban area, sit quietly while reading magazines, listening to music. Which one did they come back the most changed, do you think? Yeah. The result, those who walked in the nature preserve performed better than the other participants on a standard proofreading task. Little benefit, they also reported more positive emotions and less anger. Is there a lot of anger in our world right now? A lot of negative emotions? Why? Because there's a lot of time on screen telling us that we're in big trouble, right? Let's let God say, yes, we're in trouble, but I have something special for you. All right. Um, if it's true that nature therapy reduces the symptoms of ADHD, then the converse may also be true. ADHD may be a set of symptoms aggravated by the lack of exposure to nature. 
And these lessons directed from nature, there is a simplicity and purity that makes them of the highest value. All need the teaching to be derived from this source. In itself, the beauty of nature leads the soul away from sin and worldly attractions and toward purity, peace, and God. Too often, the minds of students are occupied with men's theories and speculations. And I think that's even us in the church. Falsely call science and philosophy. They need to be brought into close contact with nature. Let them learn that creation and Christianity have one God. Let them be taught to see the harmony of the natural with the spiritual. Let everything which their eyes see or their hands handle be made a lesson in character building. Thus the mental powers will be strengthened, the character developed, and the whole life ennobled. Isn't that beautiful? That's a promise. I love it. All of God's commands are also promises. All right, your physical health. Um, overweight is a problem. It's especially increased from 1991 to 2000. There was a 60% increase as technology came up. Um, the U.S. overweight children, um, there was a an increase of 36% in the ages of 2 to 5. And what's really sad about this is 60% of obese children ages 5 to 10 have at least one cardiovascular disease factor that they will fight for the rest of their lives because of what mom and dad fed them or put in front of them when they were three to five, five to 10, right? Um, the World Health Organization warns that the sedentary lifestyle is a global public health problem. I actually was reading a study recently that they're calling sitting the new smoking. Sitting is as detrimental to your body as smoking. <laughs> That's a good idea. We want to stand up. In fact, even listen to me for a little while standing up. Why not be different? Yeah, stand up and listen for a little while. Huh? Oh, man. <laughs> Long life prosperity is coming your way, right? <laughs> so inactivity is seen as a major risk factor in non-communicable diseases, which causes 60% of global deaths and 47% of the burden of disease. So simply just by making our us more active, our health insurance, all the whole money problems that we have because everybody's health is so poor would be drastically different because it's just that we're sitting too much. Pediatricians now warn that today's children may be the first generation of Americans since World War II to die at an earlier age than their parents because your body isn't as strong when you're sitting all the time. It's just not. And if you look at our kids and how much they sit, if you think about ourselves and the way we work these days, we sit, 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 sit. And sitting is sure is comfortable, isn't it? All right, there's a sad connection. The CDC found that the amount of TV that children watch directly correlates with the measure of their body fat. In the United States, children ages 6 to 11 spend about 30 hours a week looking at a TV or computer monitor. So that's just TV, like TV shows, not even the screens. Do sports save the day? This is super interesting. You guys think sports save the day? The obesity epidemic coincides with the greatest increase in organized children's sports in history. The physical exercise and emotional stretching that children enjoy in unorganized play is more varied and less time-bound than is found in organized sports. Playtime, especially unstructured, imaginative, exploratory play is increasingly recognized as an essential component of a wholesome childhood development. If you think about sports, your manicured lawn is perfect, right? Football, baseball. But if you think about playing in the woods or playing on uneven lawn, it, your ankles have to compensate, your knees, your legs, right? But if your lawn is always perfectly manicured, your body's never having to figure out its balance because everything's perfect. And so it's those places where there are logs. Let your children climb on logs. Let your children climb up and down hills that are rough because that is how they're creating balance, right? Trees, climb trees, yes. They did a study in, in Norway and Sweden 
And they found that like they compared playing on a typically flat playground with playing among trees and rocks and on even grounds of natural play area. Over a year's time, the children who played in natural areas tested better for motor fitness, especially in balance and agility. Have you read the study about children that play outside have more time and strength? Yeah, they do. There's a direct link between being outdoors mm -hmm. and having some... All you have to do is talk to some kids, <laughs> especially your teenagers, bless their sweethearts. Like, you're just like, wow, whoa, but, but this nature deficit disorder isn't just in kids, right? We're all like spending not that much time outside compared to what we used to because we don't need to anymore. And we have to spend time catching up on emails and text messages. And you know, one thing it used to be friendships ended, relationships ended because life moved and life changed. Now you have this weight that you need to keep in contact with everybody because you can keep in contact with everybody, which is a huge weight. And I'm not saying you should let people go, but it's very difficult to be present if you're always trying to maintain, right? It's, it's just hard. Another thing, simply cool, if you don't know where to start, so ask your schools if they'd be willing to take out their playground and put a bunch of a forest. See how that would go over, right? Just let your kids go play in the forest. Don't play on the playground. Yeah. I know, it's true. <laughs> Liability. <laughs> okay, if you don't know where to start, put an aquarium in your classroom. Put an aquarium in your children's room. Put an aquarium in your house. They find that there's a significant decrease in blood pressure simply by watching fish in an aquarium. Something easy, somewhere simple to start. There's also a link between pet ownership and lowering of high blood pressure and improved survival after heart attacks. The mortality rate of heart disease patients with pets was found to be one-third of that of patients without pets. My grandma has a little dog, and she actually has an exempt letter from the doctor that lets her fly with the dog for free because it's for medical purposes. They are recognizing now having a pet um, is medically helpful. Many studies credit exposure to plants or nature with speeding up a recovery time from injury. A 10-year study of gallbladder surgery patients comparing those who recovered in rooms facing a grove of trees to those in rooms with a view of brick wall, the patients with a view of trees went home sooner. So next time you're in the hospital, say, I want a room with a view because <laughs> I'm going to get out of here faster. <laughs> this is super cool. Research revealed Michigan prison inmates whose cells faced a prison courtyard had 24% more illnesses than those whose cells had a view of farmland. Even people in prison will benefit from seeing the outdoors. People who watch images of natural landscape after a stressful experience calm markedly in only five minutes. So next time you're gonna have a fight with your spouse or your child, just go look out the window for five minutes. <laughs> then come back and fight with them. <laughs> um, their muscle tension, pulse, and skin conductance readings plummet simply by looking. Man, behold, behold, right? And we become changed. But we knew this, right? This is old stuff. We knew this. Nature is God's physician. The pure air, the glad sunshine, the flowers and trees, the orchards and vineyards and outdoor exercise amid these surroundings are health-giving, life-giving. Physicians and nurses should encourage their patients to be much in the open air. Outdoor life is the only remedy that many <coughs> invalids need. It has wonderful power to heal diseases caused by the excitements and excesses of fashionable life, a life that weakens and destroys the powers of body, mind, and soul. Do you feel like your body, mind, and soul is being attacked right now? I do. All right, emotional well-being. He's excited to be out there, believe it. <laughs> okay, results of a sedentary lifestyle is simple. Kids get depressed. The need for medications is intensified by children's disconnection from nature. This is really sad. In 2003, this was the highest number. That's why I like the 2003 stat. 
The rate at which American children are prescribed antidepressants almost doubled in five years. The steepest increase was 66% among preschool children. They're giving preschool children. We were talking, and it's still growing, and we were talking to somebody, and they were saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but putting your hands in the soil for an hour is the equivalent of taking a Prozac, one Prozac. Simply by digging in the, so in the soil, it was, it's the equivalent of one Prozac, an hour with your hands in the dirt. There is 100 studies that confirm that one of the main benefits of spending time in nature is stress reduction. Feel stress? Go outside. Nature experiences can relieve relieve some of the everyday pressures that may lead to childhood depression. Nature offers nurturing solitude. You know, I have to say, working with teens, the majority of them are depressed. Hands down, the majority are depressed. They did another study, and basically they found that when you have green exercise, um, you have three broad health outcomes. Improved psychological well-being by enhancing mood and self-esteem while reducing feelings of anger, confusion, depression, and tension. Generation of physical health benefits, so it goes for generations, by reducing blood pressure and burning calories. And there's building of social networks is what they found for the three biggest benefits of green exercise. I guess because if you think in the gym, you don't really talk to anybody, but if you're going outside and you pass somebody, you might wave and say hi. And they say that you actually um, live longer based on the, the amount of new connections you make. So when you make a new friend, you will live longer. Also, they have found, too, when they were trying to help refugees recover, they say just looking at them in their eyes. Looking at somebody and making eye contact is really, really, it actually makes, it helps build your confidence in who you are. They found that at first the refugees wouldn't look in their eyes, but as they looked in their eyes, they, they built confidence and they were healed, too. They won't look in your eyes. Yep. So how much nature do you need enough that you need to make a difference? The answer is five minutes. Just if you don't know where to start, five minutes. Get your five-minute dose of vitamin N. Okay? Mood and self-esteem approved just after five minutes. Blue-green exercise, so that means if you can walk next to a pond or a river, it actually is better if you can have the blue-green, the contrast. Um, but if you don't have the blue, just go with the green. But the blue-green is better. They found that it offers the most improvement. What's super interesting is from that study that I was showing, when they did that, the Essex study, they found that the biggest improvement was the people, uh, young teenagers and people with mental health issues. That was the biggest market difference after the five minutes of being outside was in those, the people. Well, that's the people group that we want to really, I think, reach. Another thing, too, um, that I could go into for a long time is on your phone, your, your connection's skin deep. It doesn't, you're not connecting to people. You're not making eye contact. You're not shaking hands. You're not hugging. You're not touching. And you're, they're, they're just removing us, removing us. And, you know, you think about end time events, and at first I was like, how is that possible? People really turn on other people. But if I don't make connection with you, I don't care about you. You're just a face on a screen. But as I connect with you, I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't want him to get hurt. <laughs> right? Like you start caring as you interact, but you don't care if you don't interact. You're just a bunch of strangers to me. You know, if, if I never came to Michigan Camp Mean and something horrible happened at Michigan Camp Mean, I'd be like, oh, that's really sad. But because I came to Michigan Camp Mean, I'm like, those are people that I know. That's terrible that that happened. Right? And so if you just think about it, it's so logical. Satan wants to divide and divide and divide. 
and I can go into a whole thing because last night's sermon, do you guys listening to last night's sermon? Did that not connect so much to yesterday's talk? I was sitting there because Fry and I were talking the other day and we're like, we are preaching the three angels message. And I was, oh, it was his idea. He's like, we're preaching the three angels message. And I said, we are? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, look at it. If you look at the first angel's message, it's, it's those who give God glory, who, um, who created the heaven and the earth and the sky. And so that's all nature, recognizing that God is the creator. And then the second one is get out of Babylon, which is man's thought. So the first angel's message is I choose God's way of doing life. If you look at the council, God's way was getting outside and letting him be our teacher and our instructor. And then man's thoughts is like, here, let me put you in four white walls. And I'll tell you who you're going to be and what you're going to be. Actually, instead of just putting you in four white walls, why don't you just get you captured a tiny little four, little back, little screen, right? Now you're my captive audience. And so we were just talking. And then yesterday with like the clouds and the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And anyways, I can go on for that long time. But we were sitting there and we we're like, what's well, like so much connection the entire time. And the rainbows, if you read the handout with the rainbows. So I was very excited last night because for the first time, honestly, shame on me, but the three angels messages, I was like, this is awesome. I was so excited. Why? Because it was involuntary connection and it was awesome. And yeah, we were like, how do we talk about it? But it was great. Yeah, God is good. All right. Time in nature is not leisure time. It's an essential investment in our health and our students' health. So we're going to do this and just bear with me, but we're literally going to go outside for five minutes and we're going to come back and like a speed racehorse, we're going to finish the last two. But if I think it's essential, then I got to practice what I preached, even though technology slowed me down. But we're going to go outside for five minutes and then we're going to come back for my two favorite ones. So go outside, five minutes, don't talk to each other. Don't talk. Are you going to time us? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm going to come get, I'm going to come out too. So... Five minutes, just look. Don't talk to each other. You may not talk to anybody else. You can smile. So I'm sure each one of us could probably tell a story. One of the coolest things I did with my masters is we um, were supposed to act like five-year-olds for two hours. And what would we do as five-year-olds? And we were camping in Tennessee. And I was like, I've always wanted to be allowed to just go up a river, just completely go rip up a river. And I went up, for the, I went up by myself up this river for two hours. And I loved it. And so I don't know about you guys if you were fascinated by anything, but there was that, um, that pine tree out there, and its branches had just been cut to trim it. And did you, I don't know if you guys were looking at it, but it's crying because the sap is, is healing it. And I was just thinking about how, like, man, that's what sin does. It cuts us, and the world is crying. But yet, there, I don't know, for some reason, it's also really beautiful, the tears are. And you know how there's that verse in Psalm that says God takes all of our tears and puts them in a bottle? So that's what I was thinking about when I was looking at this pine tree, how even, even in the ashes, God can make beauty. But this tree is crying because it's trying to heal itself from its branches being cut off. So I'm sure each one of us has stories we could share. God has surrounded us with nature's beautiful scenery to attract and interest the mind. It is his design that we should associate the glories of nature with his character. If we faithfully study the book of nature, we shall find it a fruitful source for contemplating the infinite love and power of God. The great teacher brought his hearers in contact with nature that they might listen to the voice which speaks in all created things. And as their hearts become tender and their minds receptive, he helped them to interpret the spiritual teaching of the scenes upon which their eyes rested. In his lessons, there was something to interest every mind, to appeal to every heart. Thus the daily task, instead of being a mere round of toil, Barefoot of higher thoughts was brightened up, lifted by constant reminders of the spiritual and the unseen. What a beautiful thing to be promised, right? 
no longer drudgery every day because even in the clouds pressing close, you know, and like rain is coming, but Jesus is coming. You know, like there's just so many beautiful things to think about. To be honest, like your mind's always happy. Like it's hard. We were talking about the the, the emotional health this morning and it's Isaiah 26.3. He whose mind is fixed on you is kept in perfect peace. If you're, you know, if your mind stayed upon God and it's really hard not to keep it on God, if you're having all these promises and quotes coming to you as you're spending and songs coming to you, you're spending time outside, right? All right, this one is so fascinating. I'm going to do it fast. Basically, your great game changes from way back in the day. John Muir, Samuel Langhorne Clements, you know, the writer of um, Mark Twain, the, the Mark Twain guy, sorry. Eleanor Roosevelt, Thomas Edison, Ben Franklin, all of them have childhood memories steeped in nature. So, for example, Benjamin Franklin, he was nine years old. He lived near Boston Harbor. And he was flying a kite from the bank of a mill pond, a holy area from water from high tide. It was so warm he wanted to go for a swim, reluctant to leave the water, but he wanted to fly his kite. He pondered his dilemma until it occurred to him that he need not forgo one diversion for the other. Climbing out of the pond, Ben untied the kite and returned to the cool water. As the buoyancy of the water diminished gravity's hold on his feet, he felt the kite tugging him forward. He surrendered to the wind's power, lying on his back and letting the kite pull him clear across the pond without the least fatigue and with the greatest pleasure imaginable. And did he keep experimenting all of his life? Who held the key and the kite and lightning? <laughs> okay, <laughs> like it started, you know, what you start with your childhood is very much where your projection's going to be. And he's, yeah, he worked, he's on the $100 bill. <laughs> Thomas Edison, I love this story. You guys know Thomas Edison. How many times did he try to make the light bulb? I... I lot. I know at one point he was at a thousand and, and he's like, aren't you going to give up? And he's like, no, I know a thousand ways that won't work. Right. He was wandered one. He was found wandering one day while visiting his sister's farm. He was found sitting in a box of straw. And he said, I, he was four years old, by the way. I saw baby chicks coming out of eggs the old hen was sitting on. So I thought I could make little gooses come out of the goose eggs if I sat on them. If the hens and geese can do it, why can't I? His sister said this. It's all right, Al. No one ever tried anything, even what some folks say is impossible. No one would ever learn anything. Think that was a pivotal thing for the rest of his life? So you just keep on trying and maybe someday you'll try something that will work. You know, the news tells you what to think. The media entertains you. We no longer think for ourselves. Nature is the one place that allows us to think for ourselves. And contemporary... Urban poets have moved away. Oh, I know. I'm missing something in my notes. Sorry. I got to read something to you really quick. Creative people who came in the age in the 1970s, rock stars among them, seldom described inspirational childhood, childhood experiences in nature. So it seems creativity occurs without natural influences, but it might have a different tempo. So your big game changers today, your Hollywood or your leaders of our nations, how many of them have childhood steeped in nature? And look at their tempo. Creativity still happens. But look at these people um, aren't necessarily, I'm not like saying they're great, strong Christian influencers, but in, they were still influencers and they did great things. But look at what they came up with in creativity as opposed to what today now is called creative, right? And, and God, he's a creator. What does he love? Creativity. What should we give our children opportunities to be creative? What, should, what do we need? We need creativity. Like we need to create. We are designed to create. 
literally, and in all sorts of other ways, right? Contemporary urban poets have moved away from Wordsworth and the Romantics, whose metaphors were shaped by sublime natural forces, whose rhythms were so often set by the cycles of nature. The newer language of art emanates from the human-built environment, four white walls, from the streets, from computers. This urban or electronic expression of creativity speaks to and for modern ears and eyes, and it has its own rhythms and metaphors. Just think about it. And like go back to Bach or you name it where they were surrounded by nature and now look at what's coming out. It's not necessarily just that Satan's getting stronger. It's that we're putting ourselves in an environment that's allowing that to set our, our, our rhythms and our, and our desire for what is creative and what is seen as this is art, right? Incredible, absolutely incredible. Natural spaces and materials stimulate children's limitless imaginations and serve as the medium of inventiveness and creativity observable in almost any group of children playing in a natural setting. Have you seen the way they play when they're outside? Much more creative. Nature, which excites all the senses, remains the richest source of loose parts. Nature is imperfectly perfect, filled with loose parts and possibilities, with mud and dust, nettles and sky, transistent hands-on moments, and skinned knees. Take, through taking children outdoors, they are exposed to learning through various forms of inquiry. When our learning is linked to revisiting the living world outside our classrooms and brought back to the classroom for reconsideration, it empowers a cyclical and multi-sensory embodiment of learning. Creativity is ignited. Gets that wonder, sense of wonder going. Taking the time to linger with our learning creates the spaces where learning possibilities present themselves. Possibilities that might have gone unnoticed if we hurried past things. Do we live in a hurried life? The work we engage in requires commitment when you stop. It asks us to care deeply enough that we want to spend time with it. Our creativity is inspired. And of course, the most important reason, nature presents, and I don't know if Richard Louvre is a Christian. Sometimes when I read his stuff, I'm like, oh, he seems to believe in something more. And then other times I'm like, no. But look at what he says. Nature presents the young with something so much greater than they are. It offers an environment where they can easily contemplate infinity and eternity. You know, people who say that they're not Christians have stared up at the sky and say, there's something bigger than I. You just can't help it when you look at something grand. We cannot care for God if we do not care for his creation. So this links back to what I said yesterday. We need to start thinking of the earth as a gift to us. We as Adventists need to be the leaders in recycling. We need to be the leaders in, in like how we think about plastic, how we buy things. We live in such a society that's like it's only a dollar, it's only a buck fifty. Yeah, but think about all the resources used to make that buck fifty product. We don't think that way because it takes intentionality and time and self-sacrifice. But we need to be, like, if we're thinking about God's earth is a gift, how do we live? How do we practice that? The extent that we separate our children from creation is the extent to which we separate them from the creator from God. The purpose of creation really is to bring us closer to the Creator. As a parent, you don't encourage children to experience nature because it's pretty, but because your children are exposed to something larger and longer standing than their immediate human existence. Because like, they know that these trees are going to go longer, or this or that, than, their, than them, right? So when you take them outside, they realize that something is bigger than just them. And honestly, in the world we live in now, the whole world revolves around the child. <laughs> You know, that's the way we parent. That's the way you watch in the classroom. The kids think the world starts and ends with them. Especially if they have a TikTok page. Why? Because they're like, like, like. You know what's interesting? The person who invented the like button regrets it. He regrets it. He says, I forever changed the face of society and I can't go back, number one. Number two, um, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs raised their children in a tech-free life, tech-free they won't let their kids be on it. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. What does that say? 
And yet we're like, more technology in the classroom. And you know, we need to use technology and look at the new like stuff we're going to do with technology. And that's the big push in the education world all over the bases is let's get them more connected. Right? Let's get them more captive. The benefits of engaging children in direct experience with honeybees, butterflies, and ladybugs, all significant plant partners are numerous. Children develop science process skills, positive science attitudes, and scientific knowledge in addition. These experiences provide children with opportunities to appreciate and develop a sense of wonder and respect for the natural world. I think the spot, if you're struggling with your walk with God, it's start with wonder. To wonder. Just stop and wonder and be like, Wow. And if we can learn to wonder again like a child, I think that's what God meant when he says, these are the ones that enter the ch kingdom of God as be like children, because they wonder. All right, I'm almost done. Give me two minutes. All right, joy is found in lingering in the grassy fields, and at the same time, you'll be caught up in a sense of wonder. I believe if we want children to take a stake in their learning by encouraging them to ask questions and seek out answers, then we need to create spaces for that inquiry to unfold. We need to give value to the time it takes to be in those places of wonder. In a time where our world is so fast-paced and product-oriented, we need to give value to the things that cause us to slow down and pause, to linger and reflect. This was a sign above Albert Einstein's door in his office. Not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. You can't necessarily measure. You can't take a test about your kids from being outside. You can't take a test for yourself. You can't check something off the box of to-do list. But not everything that counts can be counted. And not everything that can be counted counts. <laughs> And the last one that I will end with is this one. Many illustrations from nature are used by the Bible writers. And as we observe the things of the natural world, we shall be enabled under the guiding of the Holy Spirit more fully to understand the lessons of God's word. I love this. Someday I'm going to make a, a key, the theme of my classroom. In the natural world, God has placed in the hands of the children of men the key to unlock the treasure house of his word. So you're confused about the Bible? The key is the key to unlock it. The nature, sorry, nature is the key to unlock it. The unseen is illustrated by the seen. Divine wisdom, eternal truth, infinite grace are understood by the things that God has made. So you feeling confused? Nature is the key to unlock. All right, let's pray. Thank you for your extra time. Dear Jesus, Lord, oh, there's so much, so much. You long to give us something better in a world that says the it's too hard. There's way too many things to combat. It's really difficult to raise children in this world. It's really difficult to teach. It's really difficult to keep a marriage, to keep a church afloat. Lord, you say, but I have an answer. And I thank you so much, Lord, that in confusion, you offer peace and love. And Lord, I ask that we take time to stop and wonder at anything, whether it be a cloud or sap or a tree or a leaf. Lord, teach us to see your heart. We long to see your heart. In your name, amen. amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.